Easter. And welcome to Prodigal Church. We are so glad you joined us this morning as we celebrate our risen Savior. And if you're new with us today, we just want to say a special welcome to you. One of the best ways you can get connected with us is to download our Prodigal Church app. So head to your app store and download it now. There's so many different tools on there from all of our past sermons, sermon notes, our event calendar, and our virtual connect card. So if you haven't downloaded it, head to the app store and download that now and there, fill out that connect card if this is your first Sunday with us. On your way out, make sure you stop by our info kiosk and we have a free gift for you. We have an amazing PC Kids ministry here at Prodigal Church from zero all the way up through fifth grade, and we have an absolute blast every Sunday helping your kids to take one step closer towards learning to live and love like Jesus. If you have any questions about our PC Kids ministry, please reach out to me and I would love to help you out. And speaking of our PC Kids ministry, we are so excited to announce that we will be doing a VBS this summer. I know it's a little early, but we want you to mark your calendars for July 11th through 15th. Sign-ups to come soon. Our student ministries is gearing up for an amazing summer. So if you have a student from sixth grade through high school, check out our student ministries tab to keep up to date on all the info coming up. In between our services today, we have outdoor baptisms and an Easter egg hunt. So if you're joining us at the 9 a.m. service, make sure right after the service, you head outside to follow the signs for baptism. And following our baptisms, head over to the Easter egg hunt. We can't wait for all the little ones to find those Easter eggs. And don't forget to snag a picture with your family and the Easter Bunny. Next Sunday, April 24th, is our next Discover Prodigal. Discover Prodigal is a great way for you to get more connected. You can hear what Prodigal is all about. You can meet some of our staff and ask any questions you may have. So after the service, head on over to this room over here. We can't wait to meet you and there's food. Here at Prodigal, we don't take a traditional offering, so if you would like to give, there's a couple ways you can do so. You can head to our app or our website. There's also giving kiosks and boxes in the foyer. Thank you so much for your generosity. Next week, we start our new sermon series, so check out this quick video, and Happy, Happy Easter! Big bucks and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. We are so excited for our brand new sermon series starting next week, The Big Butts of the Bible. And we realize we're being a bit cheeky uh, if we're going to use Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot in the promo video. But we don't want anybody to really get, you know, butt hurt about it. We're just trying to crack you up. It really is going to be a great series, and you are invited to join us online or in person next Sunday. Well, happy Easter. Thank you so much for watching online here at Prodigal Church. You are a part of us. We are so excited to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together, and there is something so special about this holiday. Uh, in 1922, a famous archaeologist by the name of Howard Carter discovered King Tut's tomb. And uh, uh, this was one of the most famous discoveries in the ancient world. And we learn a lot by discovering what is inside of his tomb. We learn about his values. We learn that he ruled around 1344 at the age of nine. We learn that some of the violence that he absorbed um, at a young age because of the wounds that were discovered on the back of his hands. And we also learned that he valued wealth. It took about seven weeks to remove all of the treasure away from his tomb. Consider, by contrast, what we learn from the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. It's empty. 
He gave everything he had during his earthly life and ministry because he loves you. And the empty tomb becomes this pivot point in all of human history. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It's this momentous, cosmic, universal encounter, event. And the challenge is is to make something so big also so personal because the resurrection of Jesus was personal. It was deeply personal because Jesus had you in mind when he went to that cross. Jesus had you at the forefront of his heart and mind when he conquered sin and death and rose from the grave. He was thinking of you. It's just like that last song that we just sang. The one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. That's the heart of today, that the one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. The resurrection is both universal and personal. Now, I have a theory, okay? It's a very complex theory that every one of us will encounter at some point, that there are three basic kind of shoppers, okay? Three basic kind of shoppers. We all fall in one of these categories. The first one is that it's the person that says, I want that and I'm going to get it no matter what. Is that you? The the second is the person that says, I want that, but not at that price. And then there is the person that first looks at the price and then decides whether he or she wants that item. Which are you? And if you're married, this is a given. Uh, Your spouse is always a different kind of shopper than you are, okay? No questions about it. I'm picturing my wife and I shopping and she goes in the dressing room, she tries on a sweater, she walks out and she says, how do I look? I would say, well, how much does it cost? And she would look down at the tag and say, oh, it's, it's only $15. I'd say, babe, you've never looked more beautiful in your entire life. It's a perfect sweater. And then she looks down again and says, oh, I'm sorry, I read it wrong. It, the sweater's actually $150. And I say, well, not, now that I see it in the light, you know, it kind of takes away from your natural beauty. See, for me, in my eyes, the value changes my intentions to purchase. It's the exact opposite with Jesus. It is because you have unsurpassable worth. It is because you are so valuable. It is because you are worth so much that he endures the cross and conquered sin and grave with resurrection. He knows your value. He knows you better than your spouse knows you, better than your mom knows you. The one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. And the resurrection proves it. Let's read the resurrection account from the Gospel of Mark. It says this in Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you notice that the author here, Mark, singles Peter out? 
but go tell his disciples and Peter. The Greek word here for and is the word kahi. Other translations say that go tell his disciples, especially Peter or even Peter. Where was he? Was Peter not with the other disciples? Why does Mark single him out? Now, quick backstory to kind of shed some light on this, right? Peter was the rock. Jesus changed his name to mean rock. He was the one on whom Jesus was going to build his church. And Peter was close to Jesus. One time, Peter told Jesus that if everyone else leaves you, if everyone else abandons you, I will never abandon you. And then Jesus was arrested and everybody scatters. But Peter follows from a distance. And as Jesus is being pulled away in handcuffs, and as Jesus is taken into his overnight cell, Peter wants to kind of hang out in the courtyard, perhaps even to devise a plan or a scheme to rescue Jesus, to free him. A girl in the courtyard asks Peter in a friendly sort of way, you're not one of his disciples, are you? By her tone and by her words, Peter knows that she expects a negative answer. She asks in the negative, you're not one of his disciples, right? She just needs his assurance as he walks through the courtyard gate. It is so natural and just so easy to smile and say no. The first temptation is always so subtle. What else is he going to say if he wants in, right? He certainly can't do Jesus any good outside the courtyard, outside the gate. So it's so very easy to justify the first lie. Have you ever told just one lie? No. No, because you often need other lies to support that lie. Lies give birth to lies. Lies are like chips and salsa, okay? You can't have just one chip. It's impossible. They're delicious. If you ever see someone at a Mexican restaurant, dip a chip into salsa, take a bite and say, mmm, that was delicious. Now, I'm satisfied. Okay, that person is a psycho. You need to run, okay? There's this one uh, restaurant that Sarah and I frequent very often. And uh, Sarah gives me a hard time because I always say the same thing. The waitress comes up to take an order and I'll say, could you bring like three or four more of the chips and salsa? I'm gonna need some more. I just need a, a ton of salsa. Uh, the waitress smiles like, like I'm kidding. And I, I'm not, okay? There's another restaurant that we frequent where they see me sit down. I can see the waiter run into the kitchen and say, we're going to need a punch bowl of salsa on table seven. That extremely handsome pastor is here again with his wife. Okay, only some of that is true. So Peter takes one bite, one little lie. He's asked, you don't know the man, do you? Mm -mm. It's a justifiable fib. I find it interesting that I just called denying Jesus a justifiable fib. Don't you and I do that as well? It was only one lie. It was only one time. It's not a big deal. It could have been a lot worse. They're all justifiable fibs. And then Peter is asked again by someone else, this time a much bolder statement. You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it saying, I am not. Notice how he keeps slipping in deeper and deeper. The further you go, the harder it is to turn around. Then a servant of one of the religious leaders confronted him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter can no longer respond with a gentle no. 
A simple no is not convincing them. Another gospel tells us that at this point, he begins to swear and cuss to bring force to his reply. What the bleep, man? I don't know him. I don't know the guy. Whoa, calm down, Pistol Pete. What started as just one little white lie, one little chip, one justifiable fib, now has Peter the Rock denying his Lord. Cursing and swearing that he doesn't even know Jesus. Now, this is on Thursday, and we don't hear from Peter again until Sunday. And now we go back to the question that we began with. Verse 7 of Mark 16, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. Where was Peter that first Easter Sunday? Why was he not with the others? Was he off by himself, sulking in his misery? He was alone in his own failure, allowing the recent past to affect and determine his present. This happens with us all the time. In the midst of our own difficulties and shortcomings, we often default to sulking and retreating. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Just going through life with regrets. Or sometimes we don't even realize that we're stuck in a rut. We're just living each day, each week, each month, each year on cruise control. But lives do not run on cruise control. They break down. There's an ancient fable about a legendary teacher named Rabbi Akiva. And he lived a couple thousand years ago. And one night, Akiva was going home to his own village. And it's dark and it's late. And he misses the turnoff to his village. And as he keeps walking, he eventually realizes that he is lost. And he ends up approaching a massive military fortress. He hears a noise on the wall of the fortress. Some soldiers are doing the night watch. One of them yells down, Who are you and what are you doing here? Akiva says, Excuse me? The guard yells down, Who are you? What are you doing here? The master teacher says, How much are they paying you? The guard on the wall says, What? Akiva says, how much are they paying you? And the guard says, 10 denarius a week. And Akiva says, I'll pay you twice that much to come to my house every morning and ask me those two questions. Are you stuck in a rut? Is your life running on cruise control? Sometimes we need someone else to look at us in the face and say, who are you? What are you doing here? Sometimes we need someone else to ask us the right questions. Sometimes we need someone else to remind us of who we are and whose we are. And that's what Peter gets. He's stuck in a rut. He's sulking in his own failure. He's wondering, how much of my life did I just waste? And you see, the women, they they still had to go and tell Peter. There, There was just so much in those seven words that the angel spoke to the women at the tomb. This angel, this messenger of God, makes sure to tell the women to remember to tell Peter. The angel, this messenger, at the empty tomb, says, don't forget about Pete. 
go tell his disciples, even Peter. It was as if to say to him, I know that you denied me, but I still want you. I know that you betrayed me. I still want you. You're still my boy. You're still my rock. Now, Mark didn't have to include this little line for Pete's sake, okay? Peter was dead by the time Mark wrote his gospel. No, he included it for all the people who would one day fail. Me. You. Who would one day be stuck in a rut. Like, like when I read this, I go, it says, go tell the disciples, especially John. I know how many times John messed up, but I still want him. I still want to use him. But it's not just John. It's Adam. It's Julie. It's Will. It's Brian. It's Terry. It's Kevin. It's you. The one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. Some of us are thinking, no, it can't be. I've messed up too many times. I've lived for so many things other than God. I've made Jesus a side piece when he's meant to be everything. He knows all that and he still wants you. He's the one who knows you best and yet he's the one who loves you most. We have to let go of what we're clinging to. The great Danish philosopher, Søren Kierkegaard, says it this way, to let go is to lose your foothold temporarily. To not let go is to lose your foothold forever. Just let that sink in for a moment. Are we willing to let go of our foothold, trusting that Jesus has us? He still wants you. Your past doesn't define you. The resurrection declares that what the worst moment is not the last moment. That's the gospel. The son of God nailed to a cross on Good Friday, put in a sealed tomb. Heaven went silent. The worst thing that could happen happened, but Sunday was coming. Because on Easter, light defeated darkness. Love vanquished hate. Life conquered death. The worst thing isn't the last thing for Jesus. Look at what Peter does when he hears that the tomb is empty. Luke 24. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. He ran. He heard the news. He was no longer sulking, drowning in the past. He ran out of the rut and into the empty tomb. Consider again the discovery of that other tomb in Egypt. Howard Carter spent 10 years of his life searching for King Tut's tomb. 10 years of digging in the desert. But on November 4th, 1922, he finds the first step into the tomb. He had spent half a million dollars in a decade of his life. And when he finally enters the tomb, they shined a light in and they asked, what do you see? And he said, marvelous things. He climbed back up, went to the top of the steps, put his head in his hands and cried. Then he said, 10 years ago, I dug 18 inches from this step. 
10 years of his life because he missed something that was so close. Listen, don't waste any part of your life. Don't miss Jesus on Easter 2022 because he's this close. Who are you? What are you doing here? In the spring of 2004, I was a a young youth pastor. I was 23 years old. I had big dreams of how God was going to use me. And four years earlier, I had spent six months in Malawi, Africa, southeastern Africa. And I'd hoped to eventually bring friends, family, high school students, college students, teams back to Malawi to be a blessing to them because they were such a blessing to me. And so 2004 was the year. I'm getting ready to take a team of high school and college students to Malawi, Africa. And at this season, the church I was at, I was getting all kinds of pushback. People questioning me as a leader, as a pastor. I was fed up. I was heartbroken. I was wondering where God was in the midst of it all. I was wondering, is this even you, God? I felt like this is what you wanted, but what's the deal? Why is it every turn so difficult? And no one knew what I was going through except for Sarah. She was the only one. Sarah and God, I'd vent to. I'd tell about all the frustrations and the meetings I was having and the, the constant opposition that was, I was, that was being faced. And in my room, the night before a spring break trip to Mexico, we were getting ready to go for, for one week. And then all my bosses and supervisors were going to go on this trip. Uh, these parents that were questioning me and my calling was going on this trip. And so I was like, God, on this trip, this, this trip before Africa, the spring break Mexico missions trip, could you validate me as a pastor? Could you validate me? Could you, could you help me? I feel like I should lead people to Africa, but it seems insurmountable. And I just despair of ministry altogether. So could you validate me somehow in Mexico this week? And I felt God say something to me, five words. Now, it wasn't a lightning ball from heaven. It was not uh, in the clouds. It wasn't an audible voice. It was that still, small voice. I felt God say, I'll take care of it. And, and I got a peace. I felt a peace. He said he'd take care of it. So I'm not going to worry about it. The first night in Mexico, we get to Ensenada and I'm driving a 15 passenger van and I get into a fender bender. Awesome. Thanks, God. Thought you were going to take care of it. You said I'll take care of it. Why is this happening? In the whole week, I just kind of am just dealing with this internal struggle. God, you said you'd take care of it. I'm praying, God, you said you've got me. So why is everyone questioning me? Why are there so many obstacles? Do you even hear me? And then on the last day, We were doing ministry in the south of Ensenada in a small village called San Carlos. And we had a Mexican missionary who was functioned as a translator for us. Her name was Ava. And Ava spoke broken English, but perfect Spanish. And when we arrived at that small church in San Carlos, just south of Ensenada, that last morning, Ava made a beeline for me. No one was around me except for Sarah, just a few feet away. And Ava said, I saw a vision last night and I said, huh? And she, again, it was hard to understand her sometimes. She said, God gave me a vision last night. 
She said, I saw a savanna. And I, I, I didn't understand. I said, like, like Havana, like Havana, Cuba. And she goes, no, I saw a savanna. And I said, I hope to go to Africa this summer. And she says, yes. And God says, stop worrying about it. I've got you. There will be so much fruit from this ministry. And I froze. And I'll never forget it. And you know what? We did make it to Malawi, Africa in the summer of 2004. And then we went back in 2006. And then we went twice in 2008. And then we went in 2009, in 2012, and in 2016. And we here at Prodigal have sent thousands of dollars to Southeastern Africa to help build orphanages and churches and schools. There has been so much fruit from our time there. The one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. It's true for you. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we realize the cosmic universal power of resurrection, but God, that we also begin to fathom the extreme personal nature of this cosmic universal event called the resurrection. That you had the person listening online right now, wherever they are, you had them in mind when you conquered sin and grave. When you went to that old rugged cross, God, help us to live the resurrection power that you have. God, the word says that the same spirit who lives in you, that, that, that rose Christ from the dead, lives in you. God, help us to live by that and to go and make a difference in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus here at Prodigal Church. We want to invite you, if you are in the Fresno Clovis area, to come on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the Bullard High School Theater for our in-person services, or join us next week uh, online uh, at prodigalchurchfresno.com. Happy Easter, Prodigal Church.